episode 95 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to walk from one part of a large convention center to another. Wait, what do you mean there was a shorter route? Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. We want to give Gray Fox Games an especially big shout out this week because they also sponsored our event at PAX Unplugged, our Flip Terrific Super Saturday Blitzketeer Breakfast. They contributed a bunch of prizes, so please, please, please go over to Gray Fox Games' Twitter account and thank them. This week, we're talking about PAX Unplugged. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Graphic Novel Adventures, Nokosu Dice, and Fafnir. Then, we talk about my experience at PAX Unplugged, including a bunch of the games I played and the things that I saw. And now, here are your hosts, Ampy and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode. As some of you know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, we are very consistent with our release schedule. Every two weeks, you have a new dose of Board Game Blitz in your podcast feed, with one exception, and that is that we take a very tiny holiday break every year, just because scheduling recording sessions around the holidays is tough. And Ambie's got two infants at home, which makes it a little (laughs) tougher even still. So when our next episode would have released, you will not find anything in your feed, but we're only skipping the one episode like we do every year. And then we will be back right after that. Um, And obviously, always keep an eye on our social media. Occasionally, we do stuff outside of our regular release schedule. And if that happens, you want to be following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the places, because we will announce that stuff there. Since we won't be talking to you again until after the holidays have ended, we hope you all have had or are having a wonderful holiday season. Yep. And Happy New Year. Yeah! Recently, I've played through a few graphic novel adventures, or I guess read through them. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, they're, they're a little bit different than a normal game. Yeah, so these are solo games. They're books. They're graphic novel books, but they have different panels with numbers on them. And then when you see a certain number, you can go to that number. So it's like flipping back and forth through the book, kind of like a mix between a choose-your-own-adventure and a graphic novel. So I played three of them. There's Captive, which was released in 2016, Sherlock Holmes for Investigations, which was 2014, and Your Town, which is 2016. And these are all published by Van Ryder Games. They also all have like sheets that you can write in that within the book, but on the website vanridergames.com, you can print out the sheets so you don't have to write in the book, which I did <laughs> because I don't like writing in books. So all three books are very different. They play very differently. So Captive is like a story where you're trying to save your daughter and you're a character that has hit points and you can die. And that's one playthrough. So I played through it twice. I actually died both times, but then like saw most of it and decided not to play again because I'd done most of it. I enjoyed it, but this was my least favorite of the three. (laughs) And then Sherlock Holmes for Investigation is like a mix between Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective and Unlock. Like the Unlock games where there's hidden numbers because you're looking for different numbers. And in in the Sherlock ones, you're trying to solve murders or different cases and you're looking for clues. So the hidden numbers make sense. And what's really cool about the Sherlock one is that there are different witnesses that you can question. And when you get to a witness... There's a list of questions there with different page numbers to go to, and you can only question them three or four times. So you pick which questions to do, and sometimes it's it gives you no information, and sometimes <laughs> it gives you information. So that, that was pretty cool. But Sherlock Holmes one is only one playthrough, because once you play through all four investigations, it's like all in one encompassing story. 
and then it gives you it tells you if you got it right or not but i guess if you get it wrong you can replay it but you you if you read the solution then you can't really <laughs> yeah that feels like it would be a little bit cheaty to play it again <laughs> but but it it warns you before you turn to the solution that you can play it again before turning to the solution if you got it wrong so but i bet you got it right didn't you uh yes <laughs> but I also may have uh, cheated some like sometimes when I flip through I like read some other stuff too because I I want to read everything <laughs> but but that was only for the first case the first case I was reading everything because I like flipped back and wanted to see what what happens if you do something that's like obviously bad <laughs> oh then... <laughs> yeah I have those same curiosities it's the same thing in video games when like they give yeah. you two options and one of them is clearly the right option I always choose the right option but I always want to choose the wrong one yeah so with, with all of these ones I just ended up reading through all the books at the end anyway except for this last one your town because there's still extra plays in it for me I only played it once and your town I think took the longest and it also has more replayability because you're building out a town and they have a map that you can print out and you actually draw in little boxes of of the buildings that you're building and you get money and it's it's like an economic game so it's <laughs> like sim city kind of kind of <laughs> but then as you're you're exploring and going to the different pages to explore and then you get like good things and events can happen so I think it's the most involved. It's it's more like a, yeah, SimCity type game. And I think it has more replayability because I got a really low score at the end. So I could play again and try to get a better score. <laughs> but it took a long time. So I, I liked Sherlock Holmes for investigations the best out of those three and Captive the worst, although it was still enjoyable. And I'm not sure how many times I'm going to play Your Town again because... It took a long time, so it was tiring to play, I think. But yeah, because I like Sherlock Holmes type games, I like the Sherlock Holmes one. And I think they have two other graphic novel adventures that are also Sherlock Holmes themed in the same style. And they have a bunch of other graphic novel adventures that are all different themes and different styles. I think some of them, there's like a superhero one where you're a superhero and I don't remember all the other ones, but it was pretty fun and... The art is nice because it's just all comic books, basically. And yeah, I would recommend the Sherlock one, definitely. If you like things like Sherlock... If you like Sherlock Holmes type games, then that that's a good one to start off with, I think. That's really cool. So I actually backed Van Ryder Games, their second mm -hmm. Kickstarter for the second set of five graphic novels, which includes mm -hmm. the other two Sherlock Holmes ones. Oh, okay. So I have those two and I have three others from them that were part of that second set. I have not played any of them, which, you know, we all know the struggle at this point of <laughs> all of my unplayed games that I just haven't gotten around to. It's not a matter of not wanting to play them. I just haven't. And I think we've talked about in the past how I struggle getting solo games played, which seems odd. You'd think that would be the easiest, but <laughs> I just, I'm never like compelled. Regardless, yeah. I will maybe try and get those two Sherlock ones played so we can mm -hmm. kind of compare and contrast notes about them. Um, and then maybe I can ship them over to you so you can play them Ooh, too. That'd be fun. Yeah. But there's also, there was like a small overarching story in the Sherlock Holmes 4 Investigations one. So I, it might continue on to those ones. Oh, interesting. So I don't know if you would want to play that one first. <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. See, now that's it... just going to make me delay more, though. 
Oh. I know, right? All right. Well, here in a minute, when we get into our discussion about PAX Unplugged, I'm going to be talking a lot about the things that I did at PAX. But first, I wanted to talk about a couple of the games that I played there. One of the coolest parts about PAX for me was that there were... um, there was this, a company that brought a lot of Japanese games over Ooh. that had just been shown off at Tokyo Game Market. I was really excited about this. I did not get to play nearly as many of them as I would have liked, <laughs> but I did get to play a couple and buy one of them. Mm. So Big Cat Games, shout out to them. I actually got to meet with them and see a bunch of stuff. Aiko from Big Cat was super nice and really kind. And she taught me Nokosu Dice, which is the one that I bought. So Nokosu Dice was originally published in 2016, but I believe it just kind of got re-released. I could be mistaken on this, but it's kind of got a lot of buzz right now. So I'm not certain if that's just because the English rules are new or it was re-shown off at Tokyo Game Market. I'm not certain on that. But everyone at PAX was buzzing about it (laughs) because it is a dice drafting trick-taking game. And those are two things that I haven't really seen together before. All players have hands of cards in a variety of colors. I want to say there's five colors total. Then you also have dice of those five colors as well. In a four, you can either play with three or four players. The number of cards and dice in play will change based on the number of players, but all of the players will end up with a hand of cards as well as a set of dice that they have drafted. So dice will get drawn from a bag and rolled, and then players will draft them in turn order. During the course of the trick-taking part of the game, you play either cards from your hand or the dice that are in front of you. So the pip value of the dice and the color of the dice act just like if, as if they were a card in your hand. So if you have a yellow four die, it's like it was a yellow four card in your hand. The trump for every round is set by whatever die was not drafted at the beginning of the game. So if you end up with a yellow six in the middle of the table, that means yellow is the trump color and six is the trump number. So the way Trump works in this game is the color and number combined is the most powerful thing. So a yellow six is the most powerful thing. Then any six of any color is next after that. And then any yellow card is beyond that. So there's lots of different ways to play in the Trump suit, which is kind of unique. Um, But you literally just play tricks and then... If you declare zero tricks, you have to do so at the very beginning of the round and you have to throw away one of your dice to do so. The reason you have to do that is because at the end of the round, you have to have played all of the cards from your hand and all but one of your dice. Whatever die you have left over in front of you is how many tricks you were intended to take during the course of the round. Oh, wow. So you have to play your other dice and leave one behind. So like, let's say I left a red two as my last die. That means if I take two tricks during the course of the round, I will score bonus points because I matched the number on my die. So that's why if you bid zero, you have to throw a die away because then you won't have one left over at the end. It is fascinating. I loved it so much. I bought it immediately. If you like trick-taking games, I think that this is a really unique one. I've, I think trick-taking games are kind of hitting a little bit of a stride right now. I've seen a few different ones coming out, um, mm-hmm. and I really liked this one. And it's a small box, like most Japanese games, so it's really nice to throw in your purse or in your quiver or wherever, which 
is just delightful. And then I will briefly mention another Japanese game. You all know we love Oink games around here at Board Game Blitz, and there is a new one that just came out called Fafnir. It is about a chicken and gems. It is not Gem Hens, which is <laughs> our friends at Gray Fox Publish. It is another game about chickens and gems, which I just found hilarious. It is an auction, or it's a bidding game where the chicken will lay at least two gems every round of different colors. You bid gems secretly from behind your screen, and uh, the number of gems you bid is the currency. But at the end of every round, gems are worth differing amounts based on how many were hidden behind players' screens. So whatever gem is the most prevalent will be the most valuable. Only two gems are gonna be worth positive points. All of the other gems are worth negative points. So you're trying to bid away the gems that you think other players don't have and keep gems that you think will be valuable. But sometimes it's hard to tell based on what other players are doing. That was the dirtiest, quickest explanation I can give you, just because I took a long time on Nokosu Dice. But Fafnir was really fun. And then I went and bought it as well. Surprise, bought them both. (laughs) I know I said I only bought one, but (laughs) I had to go over to the Oink Games booth and buy that as well. So I now own Fafnir too. Both great. There were other games from Japan that I didn't get to play. And I wanted to, including the new one from Sashi and Sashi. It was on the table. I wanted to go try it. I didn't get to. Mm. It looks like Bus Route. I don't know if it's anything like Bus Route, but the Japanese, they they had them in the first look section. And it was really neat to see that at a convention, for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. I was very excited about it. I took pictures of a lot of the games in that section, even if I didn't get to play them. And I haven't posted those on social media because I was like, I don't really have a lot of context for these, but I might post them and just say, hey, here's some of the Japanese games that were in the first look section so people can see what those were. So maybe after this episode goes up, I will share those so people can find them easily. As you've heard in the last couple episodes, Crystal went to PAX Unplugged this year and Woo! had a lot of fun. I uh, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Also, there was a meetup, a breakfast meetup with Board Game Blitz and Flip the Table people. It was, what was it called? <laughs> it was the Flipsterific Super Saturday Blitzketeer Breakfast. <laughs> yes. Okay. Super matchup breakfast. And so, yeah, everyone wants to know, how did that go, Crystal? It was amazing. So we rented out a private space at the Hard Rock, which is right next to the convention center. We had it all to ourselves. The Hard Rock opened early, so they weren't open to the public yet. It was just our event in the Hard Rock. It was at 8 a.m., which I recognize is very early, (laughs) especially for those of us like me who are coming from the West Coast. I was only a day removed from basically being on the West Coast. So that means it was at 5 a.m. my time. (laughs) We had about 35 people show up, which was awesome. Uh, Lots of fans of Board Game Blitz and Flip the Table and Flip Flory's Super Saturday Board Game Serial. We gave away a bunch of prizes, nine big prizes, and then like probably another 10-ish smaller prizes, including posters of Trevor from Heartthrob. And you better believe that I had Flip make me one of those as well. I will have, I will definitely have it on my wall during an upcoming live stream, probably Dice Tower tonight. Actually, that may have already happened by the time you hear this episode. So uh, I, yeah, posters of Trevor from Part Throb, which you all know is a big thing. And it was really neat. Um, moderator Chris from Foot the Table actually made a really good point toward the end of the con. He came to me and he was like, you know, 
I honestly feel like that breakfast was one of the smartest things we could have done meetup wise because yes, it was early, but we all got together and had like a really big hearty breakfast before the con started that day. And he said for him personally, it really set the tone for the day because instead of just kind of, you know, grabbing a snack and a coffee, like a lot of us tend to do, we all ate a really nice, big, fulfilling meal And that made the day easier. And really it did for me as well. I was going nonstop on Saturday from 8 a.m. till 11.30 p.m. basically with very few breaks in the middle. And I actually survived pretty reasonably. (laughs) So I think the breakfast was a big part of that. And to everyone who attended, thank you so much. You all were wonderful. It was so nice to meet so many of you. We had a wonderful time. And uh, if we go back to PAX next year, I would love to do it again. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really fun, and I'm kind of sad I missed out. <laughs> I know, you were definitely missed. <laughs> what other, like, non-gaming experiences did you have at the con that were, were a standout? Well, I mean, obviously, we say this a lot, but at cons, it's kind of all about the people. Mm-hmm. So getting to hang out with friends and see people that I don't see that often, exploring the convention center as a whole. The Philadelphia Convention Center is really big, but it felt less big than uh, Gen Con, obviously. This is, I don't know how many attendees they had this year. I haven't looked it up. I know in past years, it was somewhere in the like 22 to 25,000 person range, I think. So I'm imagining this year was bigger, but probably not more than 30,000 people, but that's still a lot. Yeah. But it, it, did, it felt similar to Gen Con, even though it was less than half the size, just because I think when you hit a certain amount of people, you, it just, it's big. <laughs> But yeah, like non-gaming things. I did get to go to an escape room with some friends the night before the con started. So that's gaming adjacent. (laughs) Was it good? Yes. So we went to a place that wasn't super far from the convention center. And what's interesting is we did a room that has only been open for a month and no one had beaten it yet. And so we were like, oh, we're going to beat this. And we got hung up on a puzzle really early, oh, no. like super early in the room. And we were really frustrated. And eventually, like we were, so she was able to give us hints through the like system. Mm-hmm. And eventually she kind of helped us out with it. But we moved on and we got really far, but we did not complete it. Oh. And we were, we were bummed. So she came in and she was kind of like showing us the stuff toward the end that we missed. And she was like, you guys, honestly, she's like, you kind of got the farthest of anybody so far. There was like one team that got to about where you're at. And then I went back to the first room and I was like, what was the deal with this puzzle? Why couldn't we get the right answer? Well, as it turns out, the team that had gone into the room before us had taken the clocks off of the walls, which they were not supposed to do. And the thing that we were missing was related to the times displayed on those clocks. Guess what? Which clock was three minutes off, and therefore we were not able to solve oh, the puzzle. We that's were horrible. So bummed, like, oh, because I was like, that honestly held us up for like a long time in that first room. Yeah. And eventually, she did give us the answer, and we kind of moved on. But like, we would have thought we were doing the right thing. We just couldn't. We were like, how are we not adding this stuff up right? So, to her credit, she then let us do her other escape room that they had there for free. Mm -hmm. And the record for that one was like 31 minutes and change. It was about a ghost pirate ship, which is amazing. We saw, or no, no, sorry. The record was like 28 minutes and change. We solved it in like 31 minutes and change. So we didn't get the record in the other room, but we did solve it in great time. Uh, And honestly, so the first one was about like a sixties commune. 
uh, which was kind of odd theme wise, but it was huge. And then the ghost pirate ship, while it was more simple and easier to solve, had a lot of like little surprising, delighting moments. And I loved it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever go to PAX, then maybe I can do an escape room too. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. So now onto the game stuff. So what games stood out to you at PAX? Well, I think the first thing I have to mention is Return to Dark Tower. Mm. Uh, If anyone follows us on Twitter, I posted a long Twitter thread about this. So Restoration Games invited me to come play a game of Return to Dark Tower at their booth with some other media people. And I didn't get to play the full game only because I had another meeting that I had to leave for. But Mm. the tower is getting really close to being complete. It is the coolest component in any game ever. I cannot even fathom anything that would be better. It is a mechanical plastic tower that sits in the middle of the table, has internal components that spin, doors that open, and it's also a cube tower that you drop little tiny skulls into, and the skulls represent corruption. And because the doors on the sides of the tower are sometimes closed and sometimes open, they can fall through, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes you drop a cube into the tower and it just stays. The app connects with the tower via Bluetooth, and then the, uh, the app controls the game. But what's really neat about this, unlike many app-controlled games or any cooperative games, really, is in most cooperative games, you kind of know what is coming and when. But in this game, you don't even know. Like, you know that you have to play through the first month and then things will happen. But, like, when you drop things into the tower, events will get triggered randomly sometimes. Or you won't know whose turn is going to signify the end of a month in the game. So you won't know when things are going to change or when quests are going to expire. So there's a lot of unpredictability, which makes the gameplay really tense and exciting. Honestly, it is just so good. I love cooperative games. I love games with... Things that appear to be gimmicks, but really are, you know, not gimmicks at all. I don't know what the final pricing for this is going to be. It's launching on Kickstarter on January 14th. And if you sign up in advance at returntodarktower.com to get notified when it launches, then when you back, you'll get a free first player or active player token, like a gold coin that's gorgeous looking in the renderings. So if you have any inclination about this whatsoever, even if you're kind of on the fence about backing it, definitely go to the website returntodarktower.com and sign up for the notification at the very least, because then if you do decide to back, you'll get the little bonus thing. I would be shocked if this thing didn't fund the second it launches on Kickstarter. It's going to be great. I'm so excited about it. I cannot wait to get my own copy. Wow. Yeah, that sounds cool. I want to play it, but I don't know about buying it. I have too many games. <laughs> I, it's so funny. I'm kind of in that same space, but this feel honestly, this feels like one of those games that like it's so unique that I will definitely make room for it, especially because like, I feel like some of the older cooperative games I have, I kind of shy have shy away from now only because I played them so much earlier mm-hmm. in my gaming career. Like, I really yeah. love Pandemic, but because of Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy, Season 1, Season 2, I don't play regular Pandemic anymore. I'm just not... I've played it enough that I don't need to. So something new yeah. that's cooperative is, is exciting for me. Yeah, good point. Okay, so yeah, I saw the pictures of... Return to Dark Tower, but I also saw some other pictures when you were at PAX of some Muppets. So can you elaborate (laughs) on that? 
<laughs> I would love to. So I love Battlestar Galactica. Most of you know this. Um, and I don't get to play it as often as I would like. And moderator Chris from Flip the Table also loves Battlestar Galactica, as does friend of the show Nick. And so we decided that at PAX we were going to play it. And moderator Chris has a custom set of character cards and standees that uh, replace the normal characters from BSG with characters from the Muppets. <laughs> So it's mechanically exactly the same. It's still BSG, but instead of being uh, Baltar, moderator Chris was Bunsen. <laughs> so uh, I was Beaker, who is technically Hot Dog in the original game. Well, it's in one of the expansions, not the base game. And then uh, Nick was playing as Kermit, and I don't remember who Kermit was supposed to be originally, but... I've never played Battlestar Galactica with only three players. And we were actually a little bit skeptical of how that was going to go because three doesn't feel like enough. I was very happy to be proven wrong. Oh, wow. Three players was awesome. Um, we did not have a Cylon until mid-game, and we had so many moments of tension and, like, the humans were about to lose, and then we would somehow pull off a miracle and things would continue. The humans would have won. We would have except when I was drawing location cards from the deck to get us jumping. At one point, I drew two cards that both had a distance of one on them. And so we needed a two distance to get to the next to last jump spot. And I drew two ones. And so we had to jump two more times. And that was enough for Nick Kermit T. Cylon to <laughs> run down a, one of our resources. So the humans ended up losing. But it was an epic game. And now I'm kind of like, wait, maybe I want to start playing BSG more with less players. It was still a pretty long game. I don't remember. Just about to ask that. <laughs> yep. It did not. It was not significantly shorter with three players. The I mean, the gameplay felt nice and snappy, but like the actual time to do the thing still kind of took the same amount of time. We were just getting to take more turns in the midst of it, which honestly made it feel even better than a longer, like a more player game of BSG. So I really loved it. BSG is, I haven't done my top 100 yet, but I think it's going to be back at the top again. <laughs> like I just, every time I play it, I'm so happy. Not, no game, no other game makes me that happy every single time I play it. So that to me is a good sign of it being my favorite game still. So there was a couple of quick things that I wanted to mention. Um, I went into the Unpub room, which is where a lot of designers go and playtest unpublished games. And Peter C. Hayward was in there. He had a game with him that he didn't design, but he's kind of developing. So I guess it's an older game. I don't know who designed it originally, or if I think it was just cards. And I don't know what if it was called this originally, but the, what he is calling it is French Toast, <laughs> which... It's a cooperative party game. Y'all know I like cooperative. I like party games. So uh, when he asked if I wanted to play, I sat down. All this game is, is a deck of cards that have objects on them. And he, these objects he sourced from a list of first grade, like, reading terms. So stuff that a first grader would understand. Very simple. Whoever the person is giving the clues draws a card, looks at the object, and then the other players in turn name a different object. Well, they don't know what the object is. They just name an object. And the person with that knows what the object is either says the name of the object back to them that they just said, or French toast. Meaning, so they're trying to determine if the thing that the player just said, is it closer to French toast 
than the actual object on the card. So here, it's a little easier okay. if I give you an example, Ambie. So let's say I picked up a card and the word was bicycle. Uh -huh. Like that's the word, the secret word that you're trying to guess. So then if you said to me, skyscraper, uh -huh. then I have to determine whether a bicycle is closer to a skyscraper or to French toast. And in my mind, I would think skyscraper is closer. Mm -hmm. So I would repeat skyscraper back to you. Mm -hmm. Then you would ask another, you would name another object. And okay. instead of going back to French toast, I'm now comparing the object against skyscraper and the new thing you've named. Oh, so you keep okay. making a line of items, basically trying to get them closer <laughs> and closer. And at one point, um, oh, and there's also adjective cards that you can add in to kind of try and make things a little easier if people are getting stuck. And at one point we had, <laughs> I don't remember how it was described. The item that we were trying to get to was bathtub. And at one point we had shopping cart turned into wet shopping cart turned into... <laughs> Why would someone say wet shopping cart? Uh, right. I think it was, I think it might have actually been like damp shopping cart. <laughs> Like, because you're, you're, you know, they're trying to get you to the right place, but you don't always know why the thing is more connected. Is mm -hmm. it the shape? Is it the material? Is oh, it so you just like there's a whole bunch of reasons? Uh -huh. Yeah. So things get really silly. <laughs> it was so much fun, and Peter um, had not determined whether he wanted to publish this game yet or not when we sat down. And on his notes, as we were playing it, he wrote down, "Definitely make this game." <laughs> so, <laughs> That's great. It was really, really fun. Peter's company is Jellybean Games, and I believe he's going to kickstart this in 2020. I am 100% a fan. I will stand for French toast all day long. <laughs> I hope that he makes this because I want to own it. Keep an eye out for that, definitely. And then one more thing that I wanted to mention is we've talked in recent episodes about Rummy Cube. Like we talked about that in our games from our childhood episode. And uh, I've talked about how I was jealous that my sister took my mm -hmm. my grandpa's Rummy Cube set. Well, I played Rummy Cube at PAX Unplugged. <laughs> they had an entire room called Classic Cardboard where they had oh. hundreds of old games. And I mean, wow. everything you can imagine. I took pictures of this as well. Maybe I'll post those also after this episode airs. Yeah. I was shocked. Oh, I took a video. I took a video that where I like scanned through everything. I will definitely post that. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> so good. Nick from fan of the show played BSG with, uh, was willing to play Rummy Cube with me. And so we played Rummy Cube. I really, really liked it. And I not that I didn't expect to not like it, but sometimes, you know, when you played something as a kid and you haven't played it in a long time and you then you play it, you're like, meh, yeah. no. And now I want to own Rummy Cube again. I yeah. really, truly do. And I'm even more jealous that my sister has my grandpa's set <laughs> because I want, I want to play it and I want the cool wooden box. But honestly, I'm just excited that I still love a game that I loved when I was a kid. Yeah, that's great. And there are so many other things that I could talk about here that we don't have time for. Mm. I got to demo Blinks at the Move 38 booth, which was on Kickstarter a while ago. They're little smart, like, tiles that all magnetize together and you can play lots of different games with. They light up and do cool things. I got to play Aftermath at the Plaid Hat Games booth and they are sending me a copy of it and I'm Ooh. so excited. Aftermath's the new storybook game that's like uh, stuffed fables and yeah, Comanauts. Yeah. I got to play an entire game of Rival Networks, the new two-player version of the networks from Formal Ferret Games. I got to try out a game called Paint the Roses, which is a cooperative deduction game coming from North Star Games in the near future. Ooh. I got to preview Prisma Arena, which is like a battle arena game that's approachable from Hub Games. I know battle arena game doesn't sound good, at least it doesn't to me normally, but this one, definitely keep an eye out for. So many amazing things. And honestly, 
the one thing that I want to make sure I do not forget to say is thank you so much to everyone who came up and said hello to me or stopped me when I was over by the Dice Tower booth or just ran into me in the hallway. Honestly, it is such a delight to get to meet fans of the show. And I know that a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I saw you, but I didn't want to interrupt or I didn't want to bother you. You are never a bother ever. Like unless you've like broken into my hotel room and I'm trying to sleep. That's probably <laughs> that's probably the only time I'd be like, yeah, no. But like, I don't care if I'm washing my hands in the bathroom. Like, please say hello if you see me. It makes my day over and over and over again to meet fans of the show. It means more than I can ever express in words, which is why I always end up stuttering like an idiot when I say things like this. But you all are the reason that we make this show and why I get to go to conventions like PAX Unplugged. Like our Patreon funds helped me get to PAX Unplugged this year. And so those of you who are supporting our Patreon literally made it possible for me to get to Philadelphia all the way across the country. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for making that possible. And thank you for your continued support because I really just, I appreciate it more than I can say. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com for video and blog content, as well as get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. The new cooperative party game, Draw Your Own Conclusions, is available now and is perfect to play with family and friends around the holidays. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Bliss consumers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgamebliss to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, we've been spending most our lives flipping cards and even rolling dice. Bye everyone! Bye! It's time for this episode's alliteration puzzle. Last episode, we asked you to retheme a game about making wine for people with high moral values who take care of sick animals. What game was that, Ambie? That was Virtuous Veterinarian Viticulture. That's a lot of syllables. <laughs> yeah. This episode, we want you to retheme a deck building game about writing novels for people who helm aircraft that are liked by everyone they know. Good luck, everyone.